we're looking at uh, Philippians in chapter 1. And I want to talk tonight, today about keeping in tune with God. That's always the big one in our world today. I know I've mentioned this before, but Michael Collins, um, the astronaut that was left on the, uh, the uh, ship that went around, circled around the moon while uh, the eagle had landed, and there was Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong on the moon. Michael Collins um, circumnavigating around the, the moon 47 times, uh, waiting to reconnect with the eagle when it took off from the moon. The first time that he went to the back part or the back side of the moon was he said, I am alone, now truly alone, isolated from any known life, the most isolated man in the world since Adam. And he spoke of, uh, he lost contact with Houston. We're talking about being in tune. He was no longer in tune with Houston as his craft came at the back part of the moon. He's in the black part of the moon. He couldn't see the earth. And he was overcome with an immense sense of fear because wherever he looked on his little spaceship, there was nothing that he could identify with anything at all. And he saw forever stars in every direction. And he said, there was an immense fear came upon me and I was alone. And then after a few moments, he said, there was this, this impact in my soul that God was real. And at that point, he said, I was surreal, serenity kicked into my soul. And then as the craft came around and back in contact with Houston, he said, I almost regretted coming back with mankind again. There was just me and God. And that's what we want to talk about, being in tune with God, because if we're not in tune with God, then there's a whole some insurmountable issues that come up in our life, that overcome our life, that dominate our thinking, that can cause all sorts of things to persecute our mind and to trouble our soul and to just maybe never quite feel good enough because we're in tune with this planet Earth and we're out of tune with God. And the key is we have to remain in tune with God. And that example of Michael Collins is a good one for us to be able to read and we can get the photos of man on the moon because they did get there, I think. I wasn't there, but the mystery of, you know, the conspiracy that gets around, did he get there or not? Well, I think he, they did. And um, it would have required a lot of people to lie and to stay lying until the day they died. Tens of thousands of people lying that it didn't happen and that no one boasted about it, no one changed their, their story, that everybody that has lived there and were part of the the conspiracy has lived their life and never broke rank and said, hang on a minute, it was a big game. Not one single person has said otherwise. So we can to a whole degree that human nature is pretty boastful and uh, on their deathbed people have a conscience and you would have thought there'd be one or two that might have said, hey, look, hang on a minute, before I die, I've got to tell you something. <laughs> Hasn't There's no story. So historically, Michael Collins comes in the back part of that moon and there he is in tune with God in that natural way. And serenity became part of what he was about. So when we lose our peace, and when we lose our joy, and when we get dictated by how we're thinking, then we've got to actually stop the clock in our mind and go, hang on a minute, I've got to get back in tune with God. And Philippians, right at the very beginning of the church here, in chapter 1, 
In verse 4, Paul writing to the church of Philippians, he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. God hasn't finished with us. He's in tune with us every day. And we particularly want to look at verse 5, from the first day until now. Let's look at the first day of the church in Philippi there. Shall we go to Acts chapter 16? Acts 16. We're going to look at the first day of this church. In Romans chapter 11, verse 29, as you're turning to uh, this part of the Bible, it says that the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. And when we've received the Holy Ghost, every one of us here in the room today, God hasn't repented that he's filled you with the Holy Ghost. God hasn't repented that he's called you and I out of the world. And have we been perfect? No. Unless your name's Mark, because you know what the scriptures say in Psalm 34, Mark the perfect man. Um, unless your name's Mark, you're not perfect. Is anybody by the name of Mark here? I think we had Mark Barnes leading the choruses. There you go. Mark's perfect. Um, no one is perfect. No, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have uh, access to the throne of grace. We have access to the kingdom of God. We can go to the Lord at any hour of the day and we can repent and we can say sorry and we can go admit our mistakes and the Lord every time will restore us when we're in tune with the Lord. So perfection is not a criteria of entering into the kingdom of God because if a perfection was required, none of us will make it. None of us. So by his grace and his blood that he spilled for us on the cross, we're able to have salvation. And this church here, Philippi, is the first church in Europe. They're now arriving in Europe. Never before has the gospel been presented where people are getting filled with the Holy Ghost. And from Europe, it's gone all over the world. And we know that Paul is in Spain. And we know that from to Africa, to all over the world, the gospel has been presented. And now, here we are in little old Adelaide. And we've heard the word and wherever you were and where, whatever you were doing, um, God knew the time for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And today, we've got behind the blue curtain here, we've got a, a baptism tank. It's been used quite regularly of late. We want to invite you to be baptized. Perfection is not the criteria. Repentance of your old way of life is... There is no confession box. We don't care what you've done. But we do care about your soul. And if you've done anything that's broken the law, yes, you'll go back and sort of that. We had Gordon Geisler, who used to sell all sorts of things to the son-in-law of um, Saddam Hussein. 
He was wanted by Interpol, which is the international police. Gordon came to the Lord, got baptised and filled with the Holy Ghost. He arrives in London and he says he's broken the law. Yes, you've got to go back. You've got to go back to Germany where he was from and face the music and we'll be there for you. Goes all the way back to Germany. He had two passports, one a Canadian and one a German one. So he was able to move around. That's how he got around. By one passport, though, it was pretty clean. clean. He arrives back in Germany, goes to the police station. I'm wanted. And all they found was a uh, time when he didn't have a parking, got a parking ticket that he hadn't paid. And the Lord sorted it all out. So we don't care in that sense. If you've broken the law, yeah, well, whatever's happened that way. But if you're talking about coming to the kingdom of God, today is a day of salvation. You don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know. None of us do. So what will you do today? Paul writes about the church in Philippi from the first day to now, whenever that was, of how great they were. And this day... We're reading um, verse 10. So verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man in Macedonia of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavoured to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. And verse 12, and from hence, thence to Philippi, they travelled, which is the chief city of the part of Macedonia, a colony, a Roman colony. And we were there, that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out into the city by a river where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spoke unto a woman which restored hither. She lived there. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, just a businesswoman of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which Paul spoke. And when she was baptised and her household, she besought us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us, and they did. It's the start of the church in Philippi. This businesswoman, who's obviously good at communicating with people, uh, you know, anybody that's involved in selling with shopping centers or miles, um, wherever they're, the people that are taught how to communicate with customers. And you get these days, you get a questionnaire about customer service, etc. So, this woman's a businesswoman. She's used to dealing with people. She hears the word of the Lord in Philippi, where Paul's going there because he hears this vision of a man saying, Come. So, this is day one the church in Philippi of this beautiful woman who hears the word of God and responds in her household, however many that was. Later on in the chapter, there's a, a young woman, a slave, who is able to interpret dreams and an enchanter of spirits, etc. She's yelling out about Paul the Apostle, why he's here. Paul gets sick of her after a few days and, and tells her to be healed, cast a demon out of her, she's healed. The owners of that woman get very upset because they made a lot of money 
out of her because she was able to prophesy people's future and all these sorts of things. And people, oh, give me 10 bucks and I'll tell you what's going to happen next. So their income was damaged by this young lady being healed. And so then what happened in verse 21 and teach customers, this is the customs, which is the complaint of the owners of this woman that was healed, going to the court, which are not law for us to receive, neither being observers as being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they laid hands upon many, when they had laid many stripes upon them, they whipped them and beat them up, as Paul and Silas. They cast them into a prison charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast with stocks. So the inner prison of uh, back in Roman times, there were three levels of prisons. Um, there was one where you had light and water and you were generally kept look, looked after. There was an interior prison where you were beaten and ostracized. And then there was a, a final prison called Tia Aranam. And that prison was like a representation for the Romans of you are no longer part of the world, you're going to be in a dungeon, and you're going to be like being in the afterlife, like hell. No air, no light, just a horrible place where you're going to get beaten and it's going to be in chains and fetters. That's going to be your life. And eventually, you won't get out alive. You'll be either executed or you'll die of starvation or you just die. And you're never coming back to life. And the prisons they created back then, they put a cut a hole in the floor and you were lowered into the dungeon it's not quite what this was, but it would not have been a comfortable place. Traitors were put there. Archaeologists describe it as the gates of hell, overcrowded dungeons, fiercest of enemies of the Roman Empire were put there. Persecuted Christians, rebellious Jews, all were taken to these places. Dark, foul-smelling antechamber of hell. Left to starve or death all eventually being executed. The jailers were often, according to um, Botanic, uh, Encyclopedia Botanica and other encyclopedias, were often former Roman soldiers, hardened, hardened soldiers looking after these jails. No shrinking violets here. No Boy Scouts. <laughs> Hard place. And Paul and Silas are put there for preaching the gospel. And they don't know how long they're going to be there because we're able to read the, the past, present, and the future of this story. But for them, they've been chucked in there, they've been beaten, and suddenly, uh, sorry, verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto the Lord. And the prisoners heard them. Well, that would just be amazing, wouldn't it? In this dark dungeon... People praising the Lord. And just recently, it's only a, a, a little example, but uh, where Lisa and Pastor Martin lived, or where Lisa still does, is semi-detached. 
next thoughts is really hard, hardened people. Because Pastor Martin wasn't able to get to the meetings in the last few months of his life, they'd put the, they'd watch live stream, and then turn up the volume, and they could hear the choruses. The, the chorus had been played. The neighbours who've been there for 10, 15 years, who've never been able to stand Martin and Lisa, came up to them one day just recently and said, um, we hear your music. And Lisa's thinking, oh, here we go. And it's so inspiring and it soothes our soul. And we actually turn everything off in our TV, in our house, to listen to your chorus time. So chorus times are amazing times for you and I. And to be in this horrible situation, some of the people who were in this dungeon were totally innocent. They had a belief. They weren't criminals. And they most, most likely never going to get out again. And here it is, some singing. These two men in a horrible situation that none of us would ever want to go through. And we're reading about the day, the beginnings of the church at Philippi. And then... Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. The keeper of the prison, this hardened Roman soldier, retired most likely, awakes out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, and drew out his sword in sheer and total and utter desperation of what he knows is going to happen if he finds out these prisoners have all escaped, would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had been fled. Paul cries with a loud voice, Do yourself no harm. Stop, for we are all here. Then he called out for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, the first time recorded in the history of Europe is the beginnings of the church in Europe. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What is the salvation of this event that's just taken place in this prison? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy household. Now remember, I'm not saying it was the guy, but we did hear a vision of a man from Macedonia calling out, and, they, and because this vision of this man, they rearranged their whole uh, itinerary to go to this place. And the Lydia's come along, the household, but of all people that was never going to come along would be this hardened uh, keeper of the prisoners in a horrible prison in the worst conditions that mankind ever want to be. And archaeologists describe the conditions of these prisons being one of the worst ever, by looked after by a Roman retired soldier who's probably some angry man at least, and it's him is the one that the Lord had to use some extra powerful tools to show to Paul and Silas. The last person that you'd ever imagine in this whole entire city is the very one that's calling out to God. And he says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spoke unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, what an amazing change, was baptized, he 
and all his stride way. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. What an amazing story at the beginning of Philippi when we're talking about being in tune with uh, God. So what's the lesson? Paul listened. He was in tune with God when he had the vision. He tuned into something pretty spectacular and he said, we're going this way. He tuned into the vision that the Lord has given it. The jailer, before anything, was in tune with God. Help me, Lord. This hardened man that you and I would look at and go, there's just no way that man will ever come to know Jesus Christ. And of all places to find him in a dungeon, in a prison cell, was the very man that God was listening to before Paul even starts his journey. So he was in tune, and God was in tune with his family, because all the family that came along, and God listened to all of them. And you and I are able to see the impact of a story in our lives when God was in tune with us when we called out to the Lord and we, got, we met our salvation. Let's go back to Philippians, shall we? I'll leave that one there for now. Philippians in chapter 4. Paul writes and finishes off his book here. Verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Notwithstanding, this is now verse 14, you have, you have well done that you did communicate with me in my affliction. You stayed in tune. When I was down, Paul was having a tough time. Those people were in tune with what the Lord had done for them and they're able to be in tune without Paul as well and help him out. <laughs> you know, now you know the Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, going back to the beginnings here, no church communicated with me as concerning and giving and receiving, but you only. These people were in tune with their salvation and remembered what God had done for them. And we have just been all over Europe where, you know, we had it here with Pastor Rex a few years ago. We know how, how difficult that can be. We, um, we got through that. And right now, um, you know, North, North London is going through where they, they need our prayers, but they're relying upon what they were taught. So in that sense, they have a, 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 um, a tuning in of what God is doing. Pastor Martin, in the months leading up to passing away, organized two leaflets. They have a meeting every fourth Saturday. This one is Ukraine. Ukrainians written in Ukraine language. This one's Russia. And they get together because the Ukraines want to see Russian people saved and the Russian people want to see the Ukraine people saved. They're in tune with God and they remember their salvation. We are not about the wars here that are going on in the world today. We don't tune in and start to hate the Russians. We'll hate this one. 
We love them all. We hate what they do. They do some horrible things. But we love the idea that they're going to be an amazing change, like the jailer. And we're reading about a great story, an inspirational story of a man who could change so much. And Paul writing, not only did he feed them and wash them and clothe them and look up, but they continued to do that. When no man was, was with Paul, these people, this hardened man, was in tune with his salvation, continued to give to Paul so that Paul was able to continue to write about that in his writings that we're able to read. Let's go to Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of the edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, when we think about bad things that have happened in our life or bad things that are done to us, then the thing that impacts most is our communication with each other and what proceeds out of our mouth. And then we're no longer in tune with what God is doing for our life. And Paul's writing here to the church at Ephesus about the importance of doing that to keep, keep your focus on the things of the Lord because we have a responsibility to help. And when we get bad communication, we forget what we're really all here about. We're here about helping people get into the kingdom of God and ourselves. Um, back in 1912, in April 15, when the Titanic was sinking, there was a ship cut, cut out there nearby, 60 miles away. There's a code in the, in the ocean. We've got a few people here that, in the audience here that have boats and they understand the need. There's that code that if someone's in trouble in the oceans of the world, you, you lend assistance. That's the rule of uh, people that own boats. If that's, um, and I want to get a confirmation of that, it's correct. If you people that are on a boat, there's someone in distress, a signal, there's a bit of an obligation to undertake. And this ship, 60 miles away, a guy by the name of Mr. Phillips was uh, on the radio. We're talking about keeping in tune. His shift stopped at 12 o'clock. They weren't required to man 24 hours back then. He was just fiddling around and he was undoing his shoe, his boots. At 12.20, a message came out of Morse code. Titanic has hit an iceberg. It's sinking. Assistance required. They rendered assistance. Three and a half hours across the ocean went past six icebergs over 25 metres high in depth. Another 25 that were only um, 15 metres high. And when they got there, along the way, the captain, 700 people on board, 
We need to help the people that have survived. And every one of them turned off all their heating, it was cold, got their blankets, food, soup, everybody that was safe, prepared for those that needed help. And when they arrived four hours later, at four o'clock in the morning, the captain saw um, 13 lifeboats with people cold, freezing, retrieved 300 bodies and rescued 706 people distressed. You know, really tough night. Titanic had sunk and they were all alone and it was a bitterly, bitterly cold night. And this captain sails across the oceans. Why? Because he wanted to help. I can tell you right here and now, there would have been no evil communication. They were all geared up to, for one thing, to help people's lives. And the ones in the boat, they weren't talking about what class were you in? What seat did you have on the ship? They were interested in surviving. And when they arrived, for the next couple of hours, they were all rescued. And over the next 24 hours, they made it into New York. And there was no evil communication. Why? Because the focus and the tuning is was helping each other. And as a church, our role is to help those that are drowning out in the sea of this world. People that are dying. And when we do that, our communication is good. And when we don't do that, the communication implodes. That's the way it is with life. When Paul arrived in Philippi, he didn't know what was taking place. But he came across some people who were in distress. He didn't know. They looked like they were the, the, the ones who were doing all the distressing jailer. But God had a different plan. They're my people. Save them. And on that call that went out, as reverberates all throughout Europe since, says, what do I got to do to be saved? It reverberates around the world today. And we're going to show you that answer so that you can have a chance to meet God today. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Your salvation is critical. You're in the ocean of life. You're drowning. And we're here to help you. Make it into the kingdom of God. We don't clear what, care what class you're on the boat. And you wouldn't clear what, what I did in my life. Whether I'm some rich, famous guy who's got the top level of the ship or whether I'm at the very bottom. We've all got together, 700 of us, and have determined that we're going to do everything we can to rescue the people that are on the, in the ocean there. Acts chapter 2. Paul, Peter writing here, talking about the day of salvation on the day of Pentecost. He preaches Jesus Christ. He says in verse 36, Therefore to whoever he was talking to at the time, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And the ones, the culprits, who were out of tune with God, who caused the death of Jesus to be crucified. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter, teaching them to become get to close to God, says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, 
for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's the message today for you. Come and get baptised. Come and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Start again a brand new life, a beginning like none other. And we will see the change in your life. And we will be more than happy to visit your family and friends and support you and tell them. We heard it with Tina when her family eventually heard the salvation message and how much they support her now. But at the beginning, she had to make that stand. And we'll help you make that stand. We're here with you, but if we don't keep thinking about our church as a church that saves the people that are dying, then we implode. And we don't want to do that, and we don't do that, and all the people said. <laughs> <laughs>